What's up, mortals? This is Awesome Miss and Monsters, here to learn you a thing or two. In this special episode, I'll be going over some of the possible origins for Valentine's Day, as well as a little bit about everybody's favorite baby with his dick out, Cupid. There are multiple stories of St. Valentine, for which the day is named, and there's like two or three different guys that are debated as its source. In 3rd century Rome, Emperor Claudius II, which means his father went through life being named Claudius and thought it was okay to name his son that, well, Emperor Claudius II decided that single dudes make way better soldiers than married dudes, so he banned marriage for young men. Valentine disagreed and performed marriages in secret for young couples. The emperor found out and beheaded Valentine because war is more important than love. A different Valentine was, tr tr was caught trying to help Christians escape from a Roman prison, so he was thrown in prison himself where he somehow fell in love with the jailer's daughter. He would write her love letters and allegedly sign them from your Valentine, which, as you know, is the same shit we put on candy and cards today. Other people who are way cooler and definitely more fun at parties think Valentine's Day is just the Christianization of a pagan holiday. You know, like Christmas, Easter, All Saints Day. Like Palm Sunday is probably original. Pagans celebrated Lupercalia on February 15th, which was a fertility festival dedicated to Faunus, the Roman god of agriculture, and to Romulus and Remus, the two founders of Rome. It was celebrated by an order of Roman priests who would all gather in the cave where Romulus and Remus, as babies, were nursed on wolf titty milk. If you want to know more about that specific story, go check out my episode titled The Metric Buttload of Wolves, where I talk about the wolves and mythology all over the world. Super interesting. Wolves are dope. The priests would sacrifice a goat for fertility because everybody knows that goat is super potent and a dog for purification because they're hor horrible people. They then cut the goat's hide into strips and dunk it in sacrificial blood where they walk into town and just slap all the women with them. Which, I mean, from what I read, it seems like the women lined up for this shit. They were all for getting slapped around with goat meat. I don't know. Sounds like somebody with a penis wrote that. Like, of course they love it. Women are there to pop out babies, and this is helping them do the only thing that they're good at. But, like, the whole ritual seems pretty one-sided. If you have fertile soil and shitty seeds, then you still aren't going to grow anything if you catch my drift. Later in the day, after all the women have been properly goat-slapped, the single women would all throw their names in a big urn, and the single men would pull their names out, and the two would be paired for the next year. Nerds back at the Catholic Church deemed this holiday as unchristian, and at the end of the 5th century. And the Pope declared February 14th as Valentine's Day. Yeah, now everybody go out and buy chocolate in the shape of a heart. It wasn't until much later, though, that it became known as a romantic holiday. In France and England, they believe that February 14th was the first day of a bird's mating season. And there ain't nothing more romantic than birds plowing each other. Written Valentine's date all the way back to the 1400s, with the oldest in existence being from 1415. Valentine's Day today is associated a lot with Cupid. You know, the naked child that people put on stuff and everyone's just okay with it for some reason? Well, Cupid was the Roman god of love, sex, and desire, with Eros being his Greek equivalent. The origin of Eros varied from some saying he was a primordial, primordial deity, you know, the fourth god ever, some saying he was a child of Nyx, still making him very old, or sometimes he's just depicted as the child of Aphrodite. No matter his parentage, he's always ready to fuck. He's got his golden arrows that cause love, and his lesser-known lead arrows that actually cause aversion. One such use of these is when the god Apollo is being a dick and bragging about how he's a way better archer than Cupid. So Cupid strikes Apollo with a golden arrow, causing him to fall in love with the nymph Daphne, who Cupid then strikes with a lead arrow, causing Daphne to reject Apollo. Like, if one of your favorite things is banging young women, 
Maybe don't taunt the only guy who can make that impossible from now on. Cupid is most famous for a story between him and Psyche. Psyche is the third daughter of a king and queen, and by far the most beautiful. She is so beautiful, in fact, that people think she is the second coming of Venus, the goddess of love. So I don't know why in this story they go back and forth between Greek and Roman names. It annoys the shit out of me, but like whatever it is, what it is. This is how the author wrote it. They even begin to worship Psyche. This pisses Venus off, who is actively losing followers to a mere mortal. She sends her son Cupid to strike Psyche with an arrow, making fall in love with the ugliest creature on earth. When Cupid finally finds Psyche, she's so hot that even he falls head over heels in love with her. So he disobeys his mother, mother's orders. Eventually, her two sisters marry, but Psyche is still unwed. Her father thinks this is some curse by the gods, and he goes to Apollo's oracle to ask what's up. Oracle tells him that he won't have a human son-in-law, but instead a dragon that breeds fire and iron on the world. Everyone is rightfully shocked and has no fucking clue what to do. So they all put their brains together and decide that the only possible course of action is to bring her to the top of a cliff and throw her off. She falls, but is caught by Zephyr, the west wind, and dropped in a meadow next to a beautiful house. This house has golden pillars, ivory ceilings, floors made of jewels. She's greeted by a disembodied voice telling her to make herself at home, where she's given a feast that serves itself and is entertained by music from an invisible liar. At night, she is guided to a dark bedroom to get it on with her mysterious host, but he always leaves before sunrise and forbids that she ever look at him. These nightly visits lead to her being pregnant. After much nagging, Cupid allows Zephyr to bring Psyche's sisters for a visit. They are instantly jealous when they see how well she lives and try to convince her to uncover who her mysterious husband is. Surely it's the winged dragon from the Oracle and he'll eat her and her child. You know, as if she couldn't fucking tell if she was banging a dragon the whole time. Well, they convince her and she sets a trap. She hides a dagger and lamp under a pillow, waits for her visitor to fall asleep. Her plan is to use the lamp to see and the dagger to kill the beast because, again, she couldn't tell if she was having sex with a dragon or not. When she lights the lamp, she's surprised to see the most beautiful person she's ever seen. So surprised, in fact, that she drops the lamp and all its hot oil all over him. Cupid flies away, and she chases after him. She explores the whole world looking for a lost love. She seeks help from both her sisters, who experience a whole new level of jealousy after learning that their their sister has been boning Cupid. For some dumb reason, they think that they could just take her place, so travel to the same cliff where Zephyr had like originally caught Psyche. Both jump off, but aren't caught, because why would they? And they fall to their death. Her travels bring her into temples of both Demeter and Hera, where both times she properly worships the goddesses and prays for help, but they both tell her that they cannot help a mortal against another goddess. Psyche realizes the only one who can actually help her is Venus herself. Venus loves having her under her thumb. She turns her over to her two handmaidens, worry and sadness, who torture and whip her. Venus has to go to a party, so she throws a ton of wheat, barley, chickpeas, and beans at Psyche, tells her to sort it all by dawn. After she leaves, an ant takes pity on Psyche and calls a swarm of insects to help her out. Venus returns, and she's all pissed. Now she's like, you know what? I have more tasks for you. The second one is to fetch golden wool from violent sheep across the river. Psyche plans to drown herself because there's no way she can, like, approach these violent sheep, but she's saved by a talking reed who tells her to just gather the wool caught on a nearby briar. Her next task is to collect water from the source of the river Styx. As she's climbing the cliffs, she's afraid of all the dragons slithering around and falls into despair. 
Zeus himself takes pity on her and sends his eagle to fight the dragons and just get the water for her. Her final task given by Venus is to go to the underworld to see the goddess Proserpina and to ask for a bit of her beauty. Now, Venus is doling out tasks like the great heroes of Greek and Roman mythology have taken on. Like, these are similar to the 12 labors of Hercules, and Psyche's just like some pretty bitch. So there's a god party that Venus has to go to. She just wants to touch up with this beauty. Once again, Psyche's all sad and climbs to the top of a tower and is about to jump off when the fucking tower starts talking to her. It tells her to go to Taenarus, where she'll find the entrance to the underworld, to ignore all the figures asking her for help, to bring honeyed barley cakes to distract Cerberus, and two coins for the ferryman Charon so she can pay for the trips there and back. Like, what the fuck, man? A random tower started talking and just gave her all the answers she needed? Not even Hercules got that shit. It just further proves that life is way easier when you're hot. So she gets to the goddess unscathed. Proserpina agrees to give her a bit of her beauty that she seals in a small box. Once Psyche leaves the underworld, she's overcome by curiosity about what's in the box, what's in the box, and opens it wondering if it can enhance her beauty. You know, as if gods didn't fall in love with her and people didn't worship her as the goddess of beauty and inanimate objects didn't just fucking come to life and give her all the answers she ever needs. No, she wasn't pretty enough. She opens the box and Proserpina actually didn't put any beauty in there at all. She just put an unending sleep. And when she opens the box, takes hold of Psyche and she passes out. Cupid finally recovers from all his injuries and he takes flight looking for his wife. He finds Psyche and wakes her up and takes her, his case to Zeus. Zeus agrees on the condition that Cupid, Cupid help him out anytime he sees a pretty girl he wants to bang, which is like the exact thing that Zeus, a.k.a. Rapey McRapeface, has always wanted. I did an entire episode of the wild shit that that dude did to get laid. Zeus calls a council of the gods where he publicly approves of the marriage, tells Venus to back off if she knows what's good for her, and gives Psyche ambrosia, which gives her immortality. He then throws in that their union will redeem Cupid from his history of provoking adultery and sordid liaisons, as opposed to Zeus, who merely commits adultery and sordid liaisons. The marriage leads to Psyche finally giving birth to voluptus, meaning pleasure. She's also where the word voluptuous comes from, making her the patron goddess of thick girls everywhere, and coincidentally, my favorite goddess. So that's the end of the episode. Go out, buy some heart-shaped chocolate, cards with naked child on it, if you enjoyed, like, subscribe, tell a friend. I'll also run an Instagram at Awesome Myths and Monsters and a Twitter at MythOTD.